This is David Dickens. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to talk about life insurance, a topic which most people don't like to talk about. And frankly, I don't either. But I have three reasons for three different age groups why you should consider doing something different with your life insurance strategy in the coming weeks in 2024. Not six months from now, but six days from now, or maybe even today. So I'm going to go get Walter. We're going to talk through this very important topic, and I hope it makes some sense for you. Do you need help protecting your finances as you enter retirement? David Dickens of KC Financial Advisors has got you covered. Welcome to the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. Hey, thanks for joining us on today's edition of Cover Your Assets, Casey. Walter Storholt here with David Dickens, and looking forward to another great episode today. David, it is nice to be with you. How's life treating you? Well, we're um, we're finally above freezing. <laughs> it <laughs> took so a while to get there, didn't it? <laughs> uh, it's treating me a lot better than it was yesterday and the day before and the day before that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm sure it's no better in Colorado than it is in Kansas City. In fact, it's probably worse, but you're looking at mountains and, and snow you can do something with. All we're looking at here is some blue sky and some snow we can only shovel. That's right. I got to cross-country ski for the first time, so that was pretty fun. Fun? And I've never done that. Only only fell about 60 times. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so not too bad. Luckily, there had been a lot of recent snow, and it was snowing while we were doing it. So every time I fell, I just careened off into this very fluffy berm of snow. So it wasn't uh, all that painful. Oh <laughs> uh, Well, that I, sounds pretty good. I, know I learned it's a how lot to fall with than, grace. Yeah, it, there was, you go. Yeah. It's a lot better than learning how to snowboard, even at a, even at your ripe young age. You, well, you probably do snowboard. I don't La- know. Last year, w- that we were in the mountains every weekend learning how to snowboard. We did the thing where we got the passes for all the mountains, and we rented our, our equipment for the whole season, and we probably got in a good 20 days of snowboarding, if not wow. better than that, last and? year. And was very sore the whole, the whole winter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Took some hard falls. I actually just had to replace my jacket. David, because um, the one that I'd bought before last snowboard season, uh, it was splitting at the seams because I think of all the impacts that it took. <laughs> it, it, it only lasted one season and it was starting to rip oh apart. Oh my gosh. So, probably a commentary on the quality of jacket as well as the amount of times I fell. But I uh, gave that a little bit of thought maybe <laughs> uh, eight or ten years ago, but I had a friend who is a doctor and he decided he wanted to learn how to snowboard. And he broke his tailbone out there. Oh, no. And I thought, you know, two skis works perfectly fine. Why would I try to mess with learning something like that Mm -hmm. at my... Yeah, that sounds pretty brutal. My advanced age. (laughs) I I need to keep practicing some skiing because I will say just in that short exposure to it, I felt very uncomfortable going downhill and trying to do the whole like pizza to slow down. I felt like that was not slowing me down whatsoever. I felt like it was putting a ton of stress on my knees and my hips. And I just felt very, very unstable. So, you know, only did it one day. So I I need to get some more time on it to really give it a true evaluation. Yeah. Once you learn that hockey stop, well, then all of a sudden gets you more comfortable. You feel like you can do anything because you know, you can, you can stop when you need to. And when you're going downhill and you can't stop that's not a good feeling. That's where your nerves start to, to psych you out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yes. Well, let's jump into today's conversation, David. And uh, since you're since we're inside, not out there uh, in the cold, and we're, we're we're oh, we can't move on without mentioning the Chiefs. Good luck to the Chiefs this weekend. Big game against the Bills. So yeah, hopefully that works out the way that everybody in Kansas City hopes it will. Yep. Well, hopefully we'll have a good report on that next time we record. By the, by our next episode, David, we'll probably be talking about them. Hopefully. In the Super Bowl, so 
That would be pretty cool if we Fingers can, if we can swing that. I mean, I'm going to do my part. I know that. You'll be cheering them on hardcore. We know it. I will. Be wearing right. my pullover and maybe even a hat. Who knows? Very good. Well, you mentioned it at the top. Three reasons why you could and should use life insurance in 2024. And uh, you got kind of just three really important reasons that you want to point out to us today and kind of get get our wheels turning up there in the old noggin um, as to why we might not want to shun insurance as an option to perhaps help our financial situations. So uh, tell us what you're thinking for our first reason. Well, uh, before we get to the first reason, there's just some, I'm not a big life insurance guy. I've always had it for myself and my family. Um, and I've always been, which is the, the first of the three, is kind of a, a buy term and invest the difference to protect against, you know, the unlikely event that you're going to, that my family would need to replace my income. But it is really, people have a significant aversion <laughs> to talking about life insurance. And I, you know, it's totally understandable. It's complicated. The pricing of it can be very opaque, although in the recent 10, 15 years, the price of term insurance is so cheap. That's going to be our first topic. But the pricing really is very understandable. There's you, you don't get something for nothing in life anywhere. And so you're certainly not going to get it from a bunch of actuaries that work at an insurance company. So all you're really trying to do is, is protect against an unforeseen financial event. And that protection is going to cost you some money. Or you can go unprotected, and it costs you nothing. And hopefully you never have the problem that you could have insured against. And I think the last reason why people, it's a little uncomfortable contemplating your own death. (laughs) And that's what you're doing when you're buying life insurance. You're saying, well, eventually I'm not going to make it to the next day. And that isn't the most fun topic. It's a really important topic. But it's one that we don't like to face very often. And once we get things kind of where we want it, we just like to put these types of contracts away and not think about them. That's perfectly great. But what you don't want to do is have one of these unforeseen financial events affect you and your family before you've put these types of things in place. So I've come up with three. We have a really wide variety of listeners, people in their 30s, people in their 50s, people in their 70s and 80s. And what I tried to do was pick out something here for everyone such that they could, this is, you could be actionable early in 2024 to say, okay, this sounds really important, so I'm going to do something about it now. That's my hope. When we get to the end of this thing, you as a listener have heard something where you go, okay, I may not actually do it, but I'm going to check it out. So that's my goal. Number one, then, Walter, that was a heck of a, a, a long great, lead-in. Great lead-up. Yeah, there's going to be a nugget for everybody today. <laughs> a little something for everybody. Number one is the saddest unforeseen financial event that you get to deal with, that you have to deal with as a, as a financial advisor, maybe as a, as a parent, uh, as watching a friend go through this. But it's the early death of a breadwinner. And there's an amazing number of people that do not have life insurance, or they have that little bit that their employer offers. Maybe it's one-time salary. It's not like it's a teeny tiny amount. But frankly, if you're looking at... So what you're really trying to do with this type of insurance is replace... Let's say that you're the sole breadwinner in your family. You're trying to replace your income 
and the money that you would have otherwise put away for retirement. You're trying to replace that with one lump sum from an insurance company if, in the unlikely event, you die earlier than, say, age, well, during your working years. All actuaries know the numbers would tell you you dying early is really unlikely. You becoming uh, disabled is way more likely than you dying early. But if you die early and you aren't insured, oh my gosh, the impact on your family is stunning. If you have kids, if you have a non a spouse that doesn't have a work outside the home, if you have a nice big mortgage on a beautiful house that you own, but you still owe a lot of money on it, if you're trying to put your kids through college at some point, all those things get cast into jeopardy if you don't have life insurance. And it's super, super cheap to get term life insurance. Now, depending on the advisor you talk to or the insurance person you talk to, you might either buy term insurance or whole life insurance or, you know, universal life insurance. There's a bunch of different... I've always been a buy term and invest the difference person. And all that means is you buy the cheapest life insurance possible and with and it has no investment component whatsoever. It's just life insurance. It's analogous to your car insurance. You pay a premium for a year and if you don't have a wreck, well you flushed that money down the toilet and you're never getting it back. But if you had a wreck, well you're really glad you did have the insurance. And that's what term life insurance is. Once the term is over, there's nothing left. And hopefully, hopefully you didn't die. And you, quote unquote, wasted all those premiums to protect against the unlikely event that you did die. Here's what I mean when I say it's cheap. I ran this calculation right before you and I hopped on this call. And for a million dollar policy, for a 40-year-old. Now, if you're a 40-year-old and you make a half million dollars a year, well, a million dollars isn't even close to how much life insurance you need. But regardless, I'm going to give you a tip on a, on a good calculator that will help you figure out how much you need in just a minute. But a million dollars for a 40-year-old that's in good health, and they want to have the same premium monthly for the next 20 years. They don't want that premium going up because they're getting older. They just want to lock it in now. And when they're 60, they're going to figure, well, I guess I'm so close to retirement and I've done such a good job of saving for myself and my kids are through college and my mortgage is paid off. Yeah, I don't have an insurable interest anymore. But that type of policy, million bucks, 40 years old, 20 years, premium never changes. That's 50 bucks a month. Now, Pretty significantly inexpensive for somebody who would be bringing in that kind of income. Boy, I think so, Walter. Yeah. And, but sometimes it's just the fear of, of having to crack open the can of worms and say, well, what would that cost me? These, these term providers, there is very, very little difference, pennies difference between which company you go with because it's gotten to be a real commodity. And when I say commodity, I mean, well, it's kind of like bread or milk or eggs. You go into the store and you see three different providers, and they're all charging about the same. And that's the way term life insurance is. It's super cheap, and it is readily available. You don't need a guy like me, although I'm happy to help you fill out a, 
an application and the life insurance will pay me a, a little bit of money for doing that. Or if you're a do-it-yourselfer, do it yourself. You can get online and do these things. The, one of the difficulties is, well, if you're, if you're requesting enough death benefit, well, they're going to want to come and take your blood pressure, and they're going to want to check with your doctor to make sure you're not going to die next year. Well, of course they are. If you're going to, if you're going to pay 50 bucks a month for a million-dollar policy, and you're pretty sure you're going to die in the next two years from some known event, well, what insurance company wants to take that policy? Nobody. So you have to jump through a few hoops to get this. But for that teeny tiny little bit of money to give your family that kind of confidence that if something goes haywire, at least they're not going to have big financial problems to worry about. That's something that you should take care of today. If you don't do it today, you should do it tomorrow. But if you get to next week and you're this person who has these types of exposures, kids, non-working spouse, big mortgage, and you haven't taken care of it by the end of next week, boy, I, I don't know exactly what to tell you. It's a great point. And it's why it's the one thing in life you're okay if you waste that money, right? Like we, we you almost want that. You want that money to be wasted and it's okay. Because <laughs> the is. alternative is you're dead. Right. <laughs> And then if you are, you'll be glad that you helped your family. And so it'll also be a good thing that you had it. So exactly. it's, a, it's a good thing if you waste it. It's a good thing if you have it and need it. Um, I plan on wasting my homeowner's insurance every year. That's right. That's right. I don't want my house to burn down. Yep. I don't want a tornado to blow it down. I'm happy to waste that money. And this is, this is another type of money. The reason it's so cheap is because it's unlikely that it's going to happen to you, that you're going to die young. But if you do, oh boy, you want to have a plan. Yep, it's it's problematic if we don't have these things in place. And uh, so get on board, make sure that you've got that addressed and taken care of. No wonder why that's number one on the list of reasons why you could and should use life insurance in 2024 for that income replacement. Uh, but there's two other reasons to go over today, David. What's next? Well, I have a number of clients. Most of my clients are over 50. A lot of our listeners are over 50. And one of the things that they are concerned about is the rising cost of health care, and especially long-term care. The, you know, you, you, the statistics you read say, well, 70% of us are going to need some sort of long-term care. Well, okay, that might, that's probably the case. Uh, but that might just be somebody coming into your home, giving you some assistance for a couple of years, and then you die peacefully at your home. It might mean that you go get you need nursing home care for two or three or four years, which is very expensive. And if we had a perfect crystal ball, we'd know exactly what to insure against, but we don't. And so one feature that a lot of whole life policies, not term policies like we just talked about, whole life policies, um, which will have a, almost always they have a premium that is the same for the rest of your life, and they go until the rest of your life. So it's a little bit more expensive than a term policy, sometimes a lot more expensive. But what they will do is, if you get into a situation where you have a terminal illness, or you can't do two of the six activities of daily living, and you need either help in your house, or you need to go to an assisted living facility, what this type of policy will do is that it will accelerate the death benefit to you almost always comes to you tax-free because if you didn't need this 
long-term care, the death benefit would go to your spouse or whoever your beneficiary is tax-free. So this accelerated death benefit comes to you tax-free, and that money can be used to pay your long-term care provider. Now, at the end of your life, if you've been doing this for three or four years, there won't be any death benefit left for your beneficiaries or your spouse. But that's not why you bought this policy in the first place. You bought it to protect against the possibility that you would have a financially draining event called needing long-term care. So what you usually do is they will accelerate maybe 80% of the death benefit. So you have a $500,000 policy. They're going to accelerate $400,000 of that policy, maybe over four or five years. So rough numbers, let's call it hundred grand a year. Is that going to cover your long-term care needs? Maybe, maybe not. But it's going to dramatically reduce the amount that needs to come out of your 401ks, your IRAs, your brokerage accounts, your bank accounts, because you got this other source of money coming in because you insured against an event that you were worried about. So how many of my clients do this? <laughs> well, I have way more clients that are concerned about it than actually insured against it. And that's pretty common. But what that shouldn't cause you to do is ignore looking at it. You ought to at least price it out and say, is my concern about needing long-term care, is that big enough to cause me to insure against that happening? And if it is, well, this might be, the accelerated death benefit might be a really good way for you to protect against that possible situation. The other good news is, let's say you bought a long-term care policy from an insurer and you died and you never needed it. Well, that money just went down a rat hole because you, there's, there's, no, there's nothing left at the end if you, you paid for that type of insurance and you never used it. Well, sorry, the premiums are gone. With this type of long-term care coverage, this accelerated death benefit, if you die and you never have used it, well, then your beneficiary gets, let's, and I used an example of a half a million dollar policy earlier. Well, then the, <laughs> your spouse or your beneficiary gets the half a million dollars. It was never used for long-term care, but it's still there as a death benefit. So this is one of my favorite ways. If I have a client who is really really concerned about long-term care. This is one of my favorite ways of addressing that because it's a way to address the risk without having a use it or lose it type of policy that you would otherwise have with a long-term care policy. It's a great perspective, I think, there, David, and that's why uh, that's on the list as well. Three reasons you should and could use life insurance in 2024, income replacement, long-term care options that it opens up as well. What's our third and final reason for today's episode? Well, our third one is transfer of family wealth. And that, for me, that really comes into focus with the uncertainty about where taxes are going to be 5, 10, 20 years from now. We now have $34 trillion of debt, federal debt. And it's a little hard for me to imagine that at some point in the future, maybe not in the incredibly distant future, tax rates are going to go up. It's a growing problem, and nobody in Washington, D.C. has decided that they need to try to address it. 
And the reason for that is, you know, it's pretty straightforward. You raise people's taxes, you're very likely to lose your job. And, you know, congresspersons, well, they like their job as much as everybody else likes their job. So they try really hard not to raise taxes. And they love giving away money because that makes the electorate happy. And so, yeah, our national debt has gone. It was, we were adding zero to the national debt at the end of the 90s. And now we're adding two and three trillion dollars a year. So it's going to be a problem. I think tax rates are going up. And one way that you can use life insurance is by having a life insurance that, that a policy that pays off at your death to your heirs, and that money goes to them tax-free. One of the ways, most common ways that I've seen this used is by people who are in good health in their 70s that have required minimum distributions, which we talk about a lot on this show, and they don't need that money, but the IRS says you have to take it. And so the question is, what do you, what am I going to do? I get this, the question I get is, Dave, what am I going to do with this money that I don't need that they're making me take out? Well, it's been a long time on this podcast since we've, since I've mentioned the phrase three tax buckets, but there are basically three tax buckets that you could have your money in. One is the taxable bucket, and that's the money you have in CDs, in your brokerage account, in your bank accounts. There's also a tax-deferred bucket, and that's your IRAs, your 401ks. And then you have a tax-free bucket. That would be your Roth and any life insurance proceeds that would be going to your heirs. So the reason I bring up the three tax buckets is this. When you have to take a required distribution, that's coming out of the deferred bucket, that middle tax bucket. And you get to choose, it's very unlikely, unless you're still working, that you could put it back in the deferred bucket. That money's either going to the taxable bucket, which is what happens the vast majority of times, or into the tax-free bucket. Well, if you don't have earned income, you can't contribute to a Roth, so you can't use that form of the tax-free bucket. But what you can do is, I have clients who say, all right, my required distribution is X. Let's call it 50 grand a year. And I don't need any of that to live on. They got a pension, they got a couple of social securities, whatever it is. Um, let's take 10 or 20% of that money, call it 10 grand. What kind of death benefit can I get for 10 grand a year that will give my heirs tax-free inheritance when I'm gone? And once you get the numbers, it may look like an attractive, uh, I was going to say investment vehicle. So regulators really hate it when you call an insurance contract an investment. And I get that. But for the sake of this conversation, you're basically investing that unneeded required distribution, either in a brokerage account, some sort of taxable account, or a tax-free account. And in that case, it would be an insurance policy. So what I don't want a listener who has, in this situation, who has an excess RMDs, don't need, aren't going to need, what I don't want them to do is say, ah, that's probably really expensive. I don't think I want to mess with that. You ought to at least check it out and see. And what you might find, and in a number of cases my clients have found, that it ends up being a good, quote-unquote, investment option for them 
is it going to work out better than taking that required distribution and putting it into the S&P 500 or into a bank CD? I don't know. Tell me when you're going to die and tell me what those other investments would have done over that period of time between now and then, and then I'll tell you whether it was a good investment. All you're really trying to do is hedge your bets here and give your heirs a tax-free uh, inheritance. So that, is, that can be a really good alternative for people who have saved and invested really well for themselves, and now they're figuring, how can I enhance the tax implications to my heirs whenever I do leave this world? So once you get into your 80s, it gets pretty expensive. In your 60s, eh, it might be a little too early. Um, and your required distributions don't start till 73. So somewhere in that early 70s range is the point at which you're going to know how much required distributions you're going to have. You're going to know what your retirement lifestyle looks like. You're going to know what your pension, your Social Security, and et cetera are. And if you have a big bunch of money that comes out every year with required distributions and it's money you don't need, then putting it into the tax-free bucket might be a good alternative for you. And I just encourage you to check it out. Very good. Great breakdown, and thank you for that, David. There you have it, three reasons you could and should use life insurance in 2024. If you have questions about something that David talked about on today's episode and you want to get in touch and talk a little bit more about maybe where life insurance does indeed fit into your financial plan, or if you have other questions that this has raised about financial and retirement planning in general for you, don't hesitate to reach out. You can call David at 913-317-1414. That's 913-317-1414, or go online to CoverYourAssetsKC.com. CoverYourAssetsKC.com, your place to go online for more information, where to listen to past shows, and other great stuff there as well. David, thanks for the great breakdown today. Appreciate it. Go Chiefs, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you in two weeks. Go Chiefs. I'm going to be clued in and, and watching every play, so hopefully we have a good outcome, and I'll... Look forward to talking to you in a couple weeks. Fingers crossed on that. Absolutely. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next time right back here on Cover Your Assets, KC. Advisory services offered through Creative One Wealth, LLC, an investment advisor. KC Financial Advisors and Creative One Wealth, LLC, are not affiliated. We are an independent financial services firm helping individuals create retirement strategies using a variety of insurance products to custom suit their needs and objectives. The information and opinions contained in this program have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. They are given for informational purposes only and are not a solicitation to buy or sell any of the products mentioned. The information is not intended to be used as the sole basis for financial decisions, nor should it be construed as advice designed to meet the particular needs of an individual situation. This material has been provided by a licensed insurance professional for informational and educational purposes only and is not endorsed or affiliated with the Social Security Administration or any government agency. It is not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for accounting, legal, tax, or investment advice.